Well, he came down to Earth and came into view. I said, Mr. Purple Podcast host, I left a review. He looked at me and started to scoff. Said, use offer code PURPLE for 10% off. It was a one mic, one star, flying purple podcast host. A one mic, one star, flying purple podcast host. A one mic, one star, flying purple podcast host. Sure sounds strange to me. Hello and welcome to the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. My name is Phil Rude. I am the dad. And I'm Austin Rude. And I am the son. And also uh, the dad to George. Who is the even smaller son? <laughs> my my kitty cat. Meow 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 meow. <laughs> he watched the movie with he, us, he and he'll be given well. his yes. thoughts. Uh, he is an al. It, it does make sense that we would have an animal performer on, for on this, the show, episode, this, it, it this really episode. It really makes sense. Uh, um, so yeah, stay tuned as all three of us uh, <laughs> watch a movie, and then we get on mic and we talk about sorry, it. Sorry, Austin's stunt double Kevin couldn't make it this week, but uh, <laughs> you know we're hoping to have him back for. For the end of the season. He he comes and goes. He's a busy guy. He is. He's fixing our TV antenna today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week, we're kicking off our final double feature of the season with the 22 science fiction slash horror slash western slash adventure film, Nope. This movie follows siblings and Hollywood animal wranglers O.J. and Emerald as they attempt to save their ranch and family business by capturing footage of a UFO that they can sell to the media. The movie stars Daniel Kaluuya as O.J., Kiki Palmer as M., Brandon Perea as Angel, Stephen Yoon as Jupe Park, Michael Wincott as Antlers Holst, and the great Keith David as Otis Sr., this movie is written and directed by Jordan Peele, our second appearance of him and Daniel Kaluuya on That's this right. on this show. Um, the great Jordan Peele. We watched them both in uh, Get Out way back in season one. That might have been was that our first Halloween movie? I it was in our first Halloween. Season, it was in our first batch. batch. It, it was yeah. yeah, real near the beginning. So uh, it's great to visit a Jordan Peele production again. Well, I think they're great, and I I think that like watching Jordan Peele uh, kind of make more movies because we we started with uh, Get Out, which was like his his first his first movie, right? Yep. So that was like, and that's when everyone started paying attention. Oh, the comedy guys doing horror now. What's right. this about? And uh, doing really good horror. Yes, and, and really, um, I mean, it's a weird thing to pay attention to, maybe, but. I think it was also that he was doing kind of, let's just say it, black horror. He was doing black horror that wasn't exploitation movies. You know what I mean? It was 
about being black in America, not just having a black character. It was the social commentary that we love from horror. It was just, I think, very smart, and it really surprised everybody. And it came at a time, like, I feel like where that kind of wasn't happening enough. Mm-mm. Like, uh, we we get a lot of, uh, I don't know how to say this, we, we get a lot of, like, introspective movies about race relations from from white people and it's like that's not a bad thing inherently especially if the message is good but it's you know i i kind of feel like it needs to come from the voice of the people who have lived this experience i feel like that kind of thing i i feel like we get it from a lot of different people there's been a lot of steps to make movies about being black in America from black voices. Some of them are better than others. Some of them are very pandering. Some of them are very corporate driven diversity. You know, we talk about things like that. Some of them are black Panther, which is, Oh cool. Black superhero, mediocre movie. Like I know we disagree on that, but uh, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's part of a machine. It's part of something else. Um, But I also think this was, I think, Horror has always been there, and horror has gone through ebbs and flows of quality. I think that was at the beginning of like a horror revolution. I think mm-hmm. I think there is a a sort of revival of smart horror movies uh, that kind of kicked off with Get Out. Maybe not. Maybe that was amid some other things, but you know, I think in the last year we, the last year alone, we've seen stuff like The Menu and. Uh, I love the last Halloween entry because it took some, you know, and that's a giant slasher schlock fest, but they kind of took some chances. Bloomhouse has, mm-hmm. has come up and and made some really interesting smaller budget horror movies. And, and, and Midsummer, I, Midsummer, and yep. A twenty four is making some great stuff. These smaller studios, I think, are making smarter and better horror movies, and I think Jordan Peele has has been a big part of of that sort of stream of horror movies uh, right up in right up to what we're talking about today <clears throat> just so we're not rehashing all of get out <laughs> I'd speak more about us but I've only seen it the one time and I I'm way overdue for a rewatch of that because I think I need to digest more of what that movie's about because you didn't really like it the first I, it's time. It's not like... that I don't like it. It's that I, I think I don't understand a lot of that, of a lot of what was going on in that. There's a lot going on in us, and it's kind of abstract. And I I kind of feel like I need to give that movie another go around. Because I, I think it's deeper than what I gave it credit for initially. That's fair. I, I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss that movie out of hand. Uh, partly because I do like Jordan Peele so much uh, <laughs> that I'm. I'm willing to give him. You're like I must be missing something. I'm willing if... to give him uh, some credit, and if I watch it a couple more times and I just end up phantom menacing the whole thing, where I'm like trying to convince myself that it's good, even though, uh, uh, you know, then then I'll be like, okay, yeah, this movie just was a miss, but. I don't know. I, I I haven't seen that movie. That's like the yeah kind of gap in his filmography that I haven't seen. But uh, I love the other two. I love Nope. Uh, just to to get going on our our general reactions here. 
this was, uh, I think, maybe my my most favorite movie of last year. And, and I saw some great movies last year. Uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio is right up there. Like, a lot of stuff that came out and that I saw right at the end of the year, I thought it was recency bias, but honest to God, I love this movie. I, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's that it touches all these different genres and is still, like, um, doing them all really, really well mm -hmm. and is really effective as a science fiction horror movie and is also just populated with some of the most likable fun characters I've seen in a long time. There's just something about the chemistry of this movie that makes me love it so much. I, I think this is, I think this is like Jordan Peele's masterpiece, honestly. Th that's what like, it's, it's just a fun movie is what I, right. I think most of my notes are about like just the vibes, even when it's scary, it's like fun, scary. Yes. It's like, because you're sucked into the characters and the story and you're like, you really want them to get that money shot. And so you're just, you're feeling the tension more so than if it was just like all the way. Right. A, a scary kind of thriller movie. I think that, I think that has a lot to do with it because it has things that a lot of audiences consider real cheap, like jump scares, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't hate jump scares. I think jump scares are fun. Typically, if you remember the movie really well, they can only get you once. You know, right. Um, but I think there's also so that feels cheap. But this movie's also like about some bigger issues. It's about trauma. It's about uh, the ethics of animal performers. Uh, it's about uh, the Hollywood machine and our our sort of worship of media and even tabloid media, like the TMZ thing in this movie. Mm -hmm. So it's about these deeper things. But I think all the fun stuff keeps it from taking itself too seriously. And it really strikes this really good balance of this movie's really about something and all the stakes are real, but we're also having a really fun time in the way of like an old school monster movie um, that, that makes this movie like so much fun. Plus like there's a lot of like really atmospheric stuff, just a general vibe of creepiness of there's something in the clouds and you can't see it for the majority of this movie. Well, that's the whole thing is like, there's, you don't get to see the, the monster for most of it, which isn't uncommon in, in horror, but no, uh, there's also a lot of red herrings thrown in there. Uh, like, like the kids dressed up as aliens. I love that scene and... so much. Uh, the, the, the park kids, the, yeah. the neighboring theme park, uh, which I love that the theme park family is named Park. The parks, yeah. <laughs> parks, yeah. We don't have to put a lot of thought into naming things. <laughs> I mean, it's a Korean family. They would, uh, Park is a Korean uh, uh, last name, uh, pretty it, common it in America, out, right? Yeah. I mean, it, but yeah, like, uh, I, I love that, that they're just like these rotten little kids that live next door <laughs> and are dressed like aliens. And, but there's, there's that and there's, uh, there's like the, the woman with her, her face. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. The, the woman who survived the attack. The, there's all these things that were like in the trailer for the movie, uh, -huh. uh, to the point of like the marketing for this movie was really good. I kind of just wanted to touch on that real quick. Cause like 
it it didn't give away the movie at all. No. There's so many shots from like the third act of this movie looking back on it, but it's all out of context. You're missing like four or five layers to each of these shots and you're like, oh, what's this woman without a face? Oh, what's this yeah. uh, furry alien? Oh, like it leaves you guessing so much. It's just so everybody much. looking up. It's a lot of people looking yeah. up, I remember. Which, which that's the thing is <laughs> yeah, that's creating that that mood going into it of what's going on and then the movie just speaks for itself yeah Uh, and i thought that was really cool i think it's great i think i think the the marketing for this movie you see so much marketing that drops the ball and and i think especially with horror especially with horror especially with trailers they want to show you the cool shit and you do see the the monster in this um but I'm so glad they didn't, they didn't ruin it. You know, like they kind of show you, like they kind of hint at the monster. Like I noticed this time watching it, uh, uh, spoiler alerts here. The, the monster, the UFO looks like a giant cowboy hat. And every time somebody's hat falls on the ground, it is the same color as the spaceship and the wind blows it away. So it is kind of flying away and it is just sort of like a, a precursor to you're like oh that's that's the spaceship i noticed why this are time. you picking up on stuff that i didn't notice that's when the when otis senior uh is killed and falls off his horse his, his hat, hat yeah does it and uh steven yoon his hat when when uh he's doing the big show it blows off and it blows around behind him and you know, See, i like, just thought that was a western i mean thing. it is but that's the thing is it all i don't even know that that was intentional but that's I mean, when you look at it and you go, they're all the same color hat and it's all the same. It feels intentional. Mm. But that's the thing is that it is a Western trope. And I think what Jordan Peele does here that I love so much is he weaves so much Western stuff into this modern science fiction movie, you know, that's really about media and movies i could have paired this with babylon because this is a movie about making movies i that's uh, our theme it's about this season, the film apparently. industry honestly like it, it is about show business i but it's also like i feel like the western part of it doesn't really influence the tone no. or the uh the the plot it's really just the setting mostly uh is it, this western setting it's the setting and um the fact that the hero is on horseback at the end of it. Well, that's uh, there true. is like the Western theme park next door, which I think adds to it. And I feel like this movie is so much about horrific things happening in the middle of something fake. Uh, everything is fake. Everything is false. Um, the The whole Western theme of this with the theme park next door it's a facade it's this fake thing right uh but there's a horrific monster eating this man is feeding horses to a monster it's pretty terrible it it is and and uh you know in the the backdrop the b story of this is about a chimpanzee on a sitcom that goes crazy and and attacks everybody on stage with it and and it is just about these things that are fake and then there's this terrible thing going on inside of them 
This is about the Western, this is about almost like tearing down the Western tropes. The, the, the theme park is everything tropey about Westerns. Uh, but in the middle of that, you have an actual hero on horseback. You have the actual... And he's not from the he, Western park. He, he's not from the Western park. He's not your typical, let's call it what it is. He's a black guy. He's not your typical Western hero. You know, mm-hmm. Westerns, there's a, a, a Western on Netflix called The Harder They Fall. That thing made such a huge splash because it's an all-black cast. We don't get many black-centered Westerns, right. you know. And and to think that there weren't, like, black cowboys and, and black soldiers, you know, like, in in the Civil War. That's completely false. Like, black people <laughs> don't exist in a lot of Westerns except to be, uh, like, mistreated by... The, the villains or whatever you know what i mean like there's just there's exceptions and there's things like denzel being in the magnificent seven remake uh which is cool to see um but there's there's this i think is really turning that on its head and just going uh we're doing western tone uh, and cutting through the facade of traditional westerns and how cartoony and silly they really are when you get tropey with it. And here's this black man on a horse who's kind of uh, being the big action hero at the end of it. It, it. And just kind of calling out. You would never see this in a mainstream western, but here we are doing it. I feel like it's so fitting uh, because like... I mean, those are the real cowboys, like the real working people of the West. That's it, who it was people of all colors, all backgrounds, like just trying to make a name for themselves. Just and trying, trying to, to, they were just work. They were farmers, essentially. Right. Yeah, and so, that's that's who this family is in this movie. They're modern day cowboys. They raise horses. They just use them for Hollywood, but they're still running a working ranch next to the fake. Western place. It it makes him so appealing to like the viewer, the audience. Yeah. Because it's it's essentially like uh you know, like people poke fun at mainstream country, how it's like all these rich guys yeah, who, it's terrible. who are pretending <laughs> like, to yeah, be right. blue collar workers. Here's the real blue collar worker right. and he's he's the hero of the story. Right. But at the same time he is also the archetype of a lot of the classical Western, like the Gary Cooper, they always labeled him as like the strong, silent, tough guy. And that is who OJ is. He yeah. barely talks. He's, He's super quiet. Like, kind of anxious. He's very anxious. And you can even see in his body language, uh, I notice, especially like when he walks into the park after after the audience, after the show has gone bad. Right. And he walks in and he has like this confident stride, but also like he doesn't quite know how to carry his arms. There's a real like specific way that Daniel Kaluuya walks as OJ, where it is like, oh, I believe he's a tough guy, uh, but I also believe he's very anxious about whatever he's walking into. There's a there's a real like line that that he walks. And I think he has a really interesting balance as that character. It's like he trusts himself and he trusts animals. Like, he's confident with that. He knows how to work with animals because he 
I think this is the thing that separates him, and I'm just now putting this together. Hmm. He understands animals because the one thing he understands about them is you cannot, they're not predictable. Like, you can, what's he say? You enter an agreement with an animal. You don't, it's you, not, you, you don't, don't own it. it. You, you don't, don't tame it. it. Right. Yeah. You can break it. You can, you can sort of work with it. But he understands that anything can happen at any time. And, and well, that's what the whole movie is. I that's think what I think he's is. the only one who understands it, though. I think that's that's what's so. Uh, that is the theme of the movie. You're right, mm-hmm. and I think that's why he's the guy who who basically went. I mean, Kiki Palmer too. I mean, she gets the photo. She's down there in the dirt with him. I don't mean to write off the character of M because she is fucking great she's on hilarious. every every level I... she's so funny and she's a badass like they they do kind of make a point of saying like oh yeah she's like a stunt performer and like a hustler uh I, she killed the the alien the monster at the end yeah. of the movie like that's yeah. her <laughs> and she's doing badass motorcycle stunts she does the akira slide it's it she's great i love kiki, kiki palmer in this movie but you're right that OJ is the hero. OJ uh, is kind of like he's the one who's able to sort of manipulate the monster because he understands how to work with animals. And he's never forgotten that he's never let the ego get to him that he can control what's going to happen. Right. You know, it's it's that that thing, which is the exact opposite of what Jupe is. Jupe has absolutely never learned a thing from his past experience. Which is shocking from, like, that's what makes his character is so clearly, like, the antithesis, but, like... Antithesis? The antithesis. Oh, okay. You've only read that word, haven't you? No. (laughs) I was... That's... I was making up a new word. No, no, that's that's what antithesis is. But, yeah, like... I'm pronouncing it the right way. Uh, (laughs) You probably are. I've probably been saying it the wrong way my entire life. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, Mm. That's that's right. You're using the old English. very well could be. But, I, uh, I, I didn't mean to call you out. No. I, you're right. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just making stuff up here. But uh, he's the opposite of the thesis. Yes. You know, he is the antithesis for sure. And it's strange that he has the life experience that he should understand what he's doing is wrong. But he doesn't. He, he doesn't because... Um, He's denying his trauma. He's He is actively working to bury his trauma, I think. I think that's what his whole thing is about. Because when they do that flashback and they show him as a child, clearly terrified right. of what's going on and how close that ape was to possibly dismembering him. And you see him talk about it as an adult. He's smiling he's opportunistic about it he charges people to show him he has props from the actual event he he talks about the snl skit rather than the actual thing and Uh, he laughs about it and he is he is actively denying 
dealing with his trauma. Do people do that though? That's I think I think a lot of people uh, there really th- weird. There's an me. entire generation of Vietnam veterans who never talked about their experience in Vietnam and never addressed it and just buried it. Uh, uh, there was there were people from every war I think who did that. People do that, and it, I I think his denial of that has led him to think he can control this alien that comes down on top of which he he was traumatized and exploited as a child performer and what do we see him doing with his children he is pushing them into the spotlight they perform in his show he says remember their names they are going to be fa-. he is he is a stage dad now he hasn't learned anything he has not that. learned That's a weird. single thing and i think that makes his character so fascinating i think it's he, gross it is I, gross i, think I don't terrible. think i don't think it's a good character i think i think jupiter is is honestly terrible and his whole theme park is cheesy his persona is is you know laughable but he's just cashing in he's become just an exploitative uh uh sideshow you know, carnival barker, basically, like literally. Um, but I think I think Stephen Yoon is is great in this. I think he's uh, he was on Mark Maron's podcast a few weeks ago, and I was really disappointed that he didn't talk about. He was on there like promoting Beef, that new Netflix oh, yeah. show. Uh, he really interesting. He's really interesting background. You know, like son of Korean immigrants and grew up in like the Korean Christian community. You know, like the whole like. Korean church and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, uh, but he, I kept waiting for him to talk about working with Jordan Peele and he never did. I was so disappointed because I, wa- I wanted to hear him talk about this movie. Uh, it just, could have just been like nothing. It was just another movie. He did, you know, I don't know. But this was way better than like anything he did for like yeah, The Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, like, exactly. This, this shows uh, range uh, and like a lot but of I things. But think, I think you're right. I don't think that Jupe is a good person. But I think his character is still fascinating just because I think there's so much psychology uh, and so much about trauma packed into he's not even in this movie very much. But you you get a sense from that and the flashbacks to like that terrible sitcom he was on. He he really is the center of it, though. I even being there so little. I mean, we start yeah. out with him. We keep flashing back until we get like. The full flashback. Uh, he is kind of the driving force of this movie with OJ selling horses to him. Mm-hmm. And he's always like, I'm going to buy them back. And he doesn't know they're being fed to a monster. They're already gone. Yeah. Um, which is super tragic when you figure out like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... <laughs> Another animal performer. Uh, Django is uh, Jang- crying Django's, at the fact that they Jang- killed horses. He, he in was this so movie. distraught uh, that that the horses were taken. But yeah, I think he does sort of drive the plot of this movie and and the theme of this movie. The uh, the flashbacks to Gordy. to the sitcom 
Gordy, what is it, Gordy's World or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Um, it, w- it was a short-lived sitcom after Kid Sheriff that I was on, <laughs> which, is, which is just, if there was ever a 90s sitcom title to sum up, or a fake sitcom that summed up what 90s sitcoms were, it's like, oh yeah, Kid Sheriff, yeah, that was a thing. There's there's a poster in his office that looks like uh, The Goonies, like a knockoff of The Goonies. Oh, really? Really? Uh, like, like he was a character in that. I, right. I just think that's kind of funny. yeah, yeah. Child actor. I love that there is <laughs> there's a Mad Magazine cover of the horrific tragedy <laughs> that happened on Gordy on Gordy's World or what I can't remember what it was called. Well, but, and the yeah. fact that SNL did a skit about it, right? That this tragedy, but but that happens. And so let's talk about the. Uh, the portrayal of media, the ex- exploitation media, the the idea that a parody magazine and a sketch show would make jokes about something horrific that happened because that drives... Look, in the late 90s, the Heaven's Gate cult uh, committed a mass suicide in a house in California. A couple weeks later, SNL was doing sketches about, I mean, look, they were funny. Don't get me wrong, but it is in looking back, you're like, I cannot believe that that they were just like immediately like writing material about this. It's, it's weird. The level of like, Oh, we can't joke about nine 11, but a few weeks after a tragedy that affected probably hundreds of families uh, right yeah, that, they, that they would be like oh yep we're gonna we're gonna do a, a a bit about this because weren't they all a bunch of weirdos who who, who castrated themselves <laughs> and, and uh yeah there's a there's a real um you know i'm not gonna lie i laughed at at one of those sketches where it was like they actually did get to the comet that they were trying to that was the heavens, oh, okay. heavens gate thing <laughs> and they were on the news like oh we made it woo and it's, but it's but it is like in looking back i can go that was a really funny sketch but how weird that all these people died and they were writing comedy about it almost immediately like almost immediately they were turning around sketches about it it's pretty shocking and and the idea in this movie that the whole plot device that drives it is they want to get a picture of the UFO to sell to tabloids, basically. They're mm-hmm. like, we can be on Oprah. Oprah's like the goal. The Oprah The shot. big money. Right. The idea that they just want to get a photo is something that would be on the National Enquirer. I saw a UFO, this kind of like tabloid thing. Because that's what's driving it. The TMZ reporter's there for the same thing, you know? And, and he's like this sinister force. Uh, right. Just because he wants the picture as well, but he's ruining their operation. He's ruining their that. shot, and he's there for the angle about the former child celebrities theme park and the tragedy that happened there. Let's face it, TMZ is a bunch of disgusting bloodsuckers that are, that are terrible parasites on... And, you know, really try to get reaction shots from people. Uh, but yeah, the whole the whole gist of this movie is that exploitative media exists 
let's just sell to them because we know we can make money with it. And they're not, you know, it's hard to fault them because they're trying to save their ranch. They're trying to save their, their business. They're in a business like we talked about in Babylon, like we talked about in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They're at a point where they are less and less relevant to the industry that they've served. They, you know, they have to do something. Right. And if the game's dirty, play the game or right. whatever. Yeah, it, it becomes a thing. Uh, I think it's really important that they showed at the very beginning that, uh, you know, there was an act, there was an incident on set. So they were like, okay, we don't want the horse in here. And then they bring in like the green screen horse, the the fake horse. Yeah. That they're br- and they're just kind of making the statement of like, we don't. We don't need you anymore. We don't need actual horses. We don't need actual animals in here. We have a CGI library, you know, that we can use and we can just plug in a horse into our commercial. And and I think it I think it's a really interesting angle of like that's why this generational business that served Hollywood and they make a big deal about like we're the, you know, we're the this long-running family black owned animal wranglers and sort of this legacy in Hollywood and it's ending and and it is ending but but what i find strange is the movie like for all of the points it's making about we can't control animals and this is bad for us it's bad for them uh we shouldn't be doing this and yet it's kind of supporting it is kind of like isn't it a tragedy that we can't train animals for hollywood anymore it it, it's weird like why are we taking the horse wranglers side um is my thing and i think that is that comes back around to the idea that oj is ethical about the way he handles animals he is trying to be safe on set he is trying to tell people you can't predict what these animals do, you know, uh, the, the, I think they show on, on the set that he's on at the beginning, you know, he keeps trying to don't walk around the backside of the horse. Don't, you can't you're come up there. You're, yeah. you're freaking him out. You can't make loud noises. And then of course, like nobody listens to him and it all goes sideways, but they, I think he has the knowledge. He's trying the best he can, but they also make a point of saying like, uh, his dad was better at it. His dad, you know, the business is, is hurting because people don't want to deal with OJ. They want to deal with Otis Sr., you know. and Because well, he was more personable. He was more personable kind of and probably was able to, you know, kind of be a little more commanding presence on set and say, don't walk around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. OJ just is kind of quietly saying, please don't walk around the, and the back of the horse. And nobody's really listening to him. Um, and then when Kiki Palmer shows up, she's able to do the public speaking, but she's also not really paying attention to what's going on. There, there yeah. is a, an idea that, yeah, even, even this family who's been handling animals in Hollywood for generations is down to two who aren't two of them together can kind of do it, but they're not always working together. I, I they've got like both halves of the dad, but they're yes. fractured now. A- absolutely. Like they, they kind of make a point of saying he tells Emerald, like 
dad was really hard headed and so are you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has the, the sort of horse sense, you know, the, the ability to work with these animals, but he doesn't really have any of like necessarily the business sense or the commanding presence that, I mean, who has the commanding presence that Keith David has that guy, that guy's awesome. Uh, if you say so. You I... know him from The Thing. He's uh, Childs. He's the other survivor at the end of The Thing. Uh, with Kurt Russell. Yeah. You know what I, I'm talking about? It's been a while since okay. I've seen The Thing. I... Keith David is in so many things, and he is great. He's one of those character actors that you're just like, that guy always plays a straight-up badass. He's amazing. He's terrifying. And then he'll be in some role where he's like, this smiling suburban dad and you're like oh man i would totally hang out with that guy you know he's just yeah i i love keith david and i i think it's i my only criticism of him in this movie is i wish he'd been in it more but he's kind of a nothing character in this but it's a symbol of yes it's important to the story it's just as an actor he wasn't given much to do no, uh, I th- I think he he is important. He's sort of a symbol of what that business was, mm-hmm. you know, beforehand, and and then, you know, when he's out of the picture, we see how much how much decline there's been, and you know, like it, in like six months, OJ's had to sell off like ten horses, and he's considering selling the entire ranch because it, it's just not sustainable anymore. It's a really, it's a, it's a necessary character, and I'm glad, I, I love when a movie is like, yeah, this is a necessary character, it's a real small role, but that doesn't mean we're going to just fill it with anybody. I want to put somebody, you know, a big presence in there. Oh, and, I, I'm and, the opposite of where you're going with that. Really? I, I think it's a waste of an actor, and I think it's a disservice to them to just... Because, like, I don't know who he is, and you're talking about, oh, he's this great actor, and this and that, and I'm like, well, that's great, but in here, there's not much to talk about, because he didn't, sure, but he's he still didn't a, do anything. I think he's still a big presence. in the. He's a big personality. He's a, he's a commanding presence. He only has a few lines, uh, and he's, I don't know. He I, plays I, the gruff sure. dad he, he, well. He's I the gruff that. cowboy, and, and sort of the... I think he represents the past of that business and that industry and that this is an industry not of like Hollywood people. This is a an industry of actual cowboys and ranchers and, and pe- real experts in handling animals. And and I think I think he represents that really well because he comes off like a like a real old school cowboy. And um that's what I'm saying. I'm glad they cast it with a really capable, really great character actor instead of just going, we'll put any older... I think we just got unplugged. Yeah. This is why we don't work with animals. I mean, animals are unpredictable. What have we been saying? You know, they could have easily just said, we'll plug in any middle-aged, older black actor we can find. You know, it doesn't matter. He's only in here for a couple scenes. He has to fall off a horse and die. And and instead they're like, no, let's get Keith David to come in here and really be a presence on screen. And then when you see him, 
uh, when OJ's driving him to the hospital and this big tough guy is like reduced to like this small dying man in the corner. Like, I think that's a really powerful image. I, I mean, I agree, but like, I was more caught up in like that montage of, all right, Beethoven and, you know, keep him talking, keep him talking in the car. And then, oh, dead body. Oh, Oh no, I was uh, caught up in that as well. I'm oh. just this was a part of that was seeing him him be sort of reduced to. I mean, it's I but that only worked for you because you knew the legacy of this actor. No, it worked and... for me because I knew who the character was. And maybe I knew who the character was because of the legacy of this actor, but look at Keith David. He's a tough, big guy. And when you see a tough, older, big dude get reduced to uh, you know, Something small and weak and vulnerable. I think that's very powerful. I agree with that. Yeah. I I just... I I don't think his legacy... His legacy's great. It's great for, like, the the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm saying that... I don't think it added to the movie, to me, anything. I'm just saying I'm glad they put a capable actor in there. Legacy or no. They put an actual... You know, and it was... For me, it was, of course, great to see Keith David. But... My point is, they didn't phone in the role. They didn't just say, this well, is yeah. a small role, fill it with anybody. We don't care. They actually were like, let's get a real capable guy in here. Hey, let's get Keith David to come. You know, like, I, I just I mean, think I'm it's sure great. he probably, there's probably a ton of actors who are like, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, please put me in your movie. Sure. I, I, I would think, and I would think that Jordan Peele is probably a fan of, Keith David, of icon, you know, well, yeah, an I, iconic black actor for decades, you know, like it's, you got to think it's all that I'm, I'm putting myself in a place that I have no business putting myself, but you got to think as a black filmmaker who very consciously makes stories about black characters and, and people of color uh, in genre films that he had to have grown up being a fan of iconic black actors in genre films like Keith David. You know what I mean? Like it, that has to be like some kind of role model for you at a certain point. Right. You know, that, because that's you're a just, big part of it. you know, that's the whole talk about diversity is seeing somebody who represents you. I mean, Keith David was a huge deal in John Carpenter movies for a little while. Hmm. Um, so yeah, big damn deal. But speaking of uh, black movie stars, do you want to talk about that that jockey film? I I don't know what to say on it other than that's a real thing and uh yeah, that happened. That did happen. Um and I found an article about that. Oh. Uh this is from insider.com. Um from a murderous affair to an anonymous black jockey, the true story behind the moving pictures in Jordan Peele's Nope by Yoonji Han. Uh, this is from August 2022, right around the time that this movie came out. Um, and it talks about, uh, you know, I, I think the jockey is anonymous. They don't know who it is. So, yes, anyone can claim, like, you know, in the in the world of the movie, it is a ancestor of OJ and Emeralds. But, but we have no real way of knowing. Right. Uh, uh, so, but really this was about um, 
somebody, one of the ranchers uh, that this photographer worked for wanted an image of images taken of his horse to see how the horse move. It was, you know, about putting them, getting a, a record of how a horse gallop. Uh, understanding like, the yes. leg movements. Um, yeah. And it has to do with that. But it also is, uh, let's see, Moy Bridges' photographs not only helped advance understanding of animal motion, but also offered a glimpse into black success during the Jim Crow era, according to historians. The world of sports and entertainment was one of few in which African Americans could excel, John Ott, an art history professor at James, Mad James Madison University said. The photographs show the opportunities and means by which they could achieve a middle-class livelihood. So there is a historical context hmm. to this old film that, you know, is early motion pictures. This is like the late 1800s. Um, and the idea of this, I mean, <laughs> I know there's like a a weird undertone of, oh, we'll allow these black people to entertain us, but not to live. You know what I mean? Like there's a weird dichotomy to that, but in is in the way that we saw in like Babylon of like, oh yeah, we'll allow this, these musicians to entertain us because there is a market for black movie. You know what I mean? Like the, but we're not going to treat them but the same. Th there's yeah. still going to be like an undertone of discrimination and, and things like that. But it was an era it, that they could succeed in, that they mm -hmm. that that black people were allowed to succeed in, in like post Civil War America, and the idea that I had no idea there was like a history of black jockeys uh, in early America. I I didn't either. I I think it's cool that like this movie's able to connect it to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, 100%. I, I think I think putting a historical uh, movie in there, you know, movie, you know, it's like a two-second film something, clip. Yeah. But it was, like, super early on I in mean, there. And saying, like, one of the first people on a motion picture was a black man. And, and like, that's actually... That's actually very cool. And the idea that it was a black man because black jockeys were prevalent uh, you know that was an avenue for black people to achieve success i mean there's all sorts of like historical things connected to that i think that's really cool it's it's all stuff i didn't know before this movie uh so there's kind of a reason that it's in there to to educate yeah, us I, th I think i think it's really interesting also interesting in this is the work Moybridge and Stanford began was interrupted in October 1874 when Moybridge discovered that his wife had had an affair with their friend. He tracked the friend down and shot him point blank. <laughs> so he was put on trial for murdering his friend. The guy who... The guy who took the made, photographs. Okay. Yes. And then uh, apparently he was acquitted. Uh, well... Uh, <laughs> so... Just he, like OJ. <laughs> oh, oh my God! <laughs> That's incredible! I think uh, oh, Jordan Peele read that article and then was like, okay. Okay, got a name of OJ. Yeah. Huh. Uh, that is, uh, that's that's a great connection there, Austin. Good job. Um, yeah, so anyway, I will link to that article 
in the show notes. That's so a cool find, though. If anybody wants to read the thing in its entirety, uh, please go ahead. It's it's an interesting read, and I thought it uh, interesting kind of uh, breadcrumb to drop into this movie. It also, I think, leads to the significance of their business. The idea that uh, this family has been in the movie business since the literal start of the movie business. Well, right, because they represent all of the jockeys working with the movie industry and how that's less and less of a thing. Right, and the idea that they, as a, a black family business succeeded in Hollywood in a time when a lot of black people weren't able to succeed in Hollywood in the film industry. And I think, I think that's a, I think it's a really interesting kind of way to thread that through the, the, and, and sort of hammer home how tragic it would be if they lost their business. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea that this isn't just a ranch. This isn't just uh, a family business that, that they inherited that's been, you know, oh, our dad started this. This idea that this is a 150-year legacy that they feel obligated to keep going with. I I feel like, though, and this might be... I, I recognize all that historic importance. I think that's the wrong take. Like, I think that's what the movie's saying, and I think the movie's wrong about that. I think they kind of should let the business die. I think the movie is, I know what you're saying. It's no longer necessary. We keep these, I mean, this is why old businesses, uh, you know, get government handouts instead of dying and then new businesses can't even start. Uh, This is an old business. We don't need real horses. It's an old industry. Yes. Right. We, We don't need real horses in movies anymore. And so I think it's kind of sad to see business businesses and industries like die but i kind of think that's part of the free market and you gotta let it go when it's gotta go oh, as far as as far as that goes i don't have any problem with people using horses uh i i think people can use animals in a ethical way as performers on films i mean we wouldn't have cocaine bear if they didn't take a bear and ethically Get it high on cocaine. No, I'm. I have not seen that movie yet. But that is what they did. But uh, that's, that's how they filmed that movie. <laughs> really? Were they able to get cocaine in Hollywood? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it, so. It's tough. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I know what you're coming from. Uh, personally, I don't have a problem with ethically using horses, dogs, cats. I think they're are bigger questions when you start bringing Bengal tigers on set. Mm. Uh, Apes. I noticed they did not use a real chimpanzee in this movie. No, that was... Like, that is, uh, you know... It's a hard line. But, you know, they do use real horses in this. They they kind of draw a line between predator and non-predator. Sure, a wild animal and what has been... What we see as a domesticated animal because we have generations and generations of breeding them into 
domesticity. I, I don't want to sound like, oh, let your horses free today. You, <laughs> <Right>. you horse, <laughs> like, owner, you, like, right. no, like, that's fine. But I, I do think, uh, I mean, I think my hot take is it's kind of unsafe. I, th- it's unpredictable and bad stuff could happen a lot safer to just use cgi there's a there's a lot of uh great conversation about things like this about um after the tragedy on the set of rust last year the idea of do we need to be using real guns on on sets um uh, which i still think you can use a real gun on set if you have a real armor if you have Real safety precautions. And I think the same thing about animals, honestly. Uh, I think if you are doing things ethically and safely and everybody is on board and the second somebody steps out of line, you go, you get off my fucking set. I don't care who you are because this is how bad shit happens. Um, But stories like that, that's where things are unmanaged. Because they they got an armorer on the set of Rust who was not, I think, I believe, not a union member. I believe she was there uh, because of who she was related to. Mm. And she brought live ammo on set so that they could, between takes, go out in the desert and shoot. And, oh no, shit got mixed up. There should never, ever be live ammunition on a movie set. Such I, a you know, horrible tragedy. Which is just it like, really that, is. Is, that is the most basic fucking thing. You should never have a live bullet anywhere you know like and and proper i know about gun safety uh but a surprising amount of people don't and if you have a movie set featuring real guns and you don't have somebody on there who knows about gun safety like real gun safety and i think the same thing about animals you can't just bring a horse on set and expect it to behave the way you want it to right Uh, but um as far as what the movie is saying, I don't think the movie is making a judgment on that. I think the 150-year legacy is about O.J. feeling obligated to his family business because of a 150-year legacy. I don't think it's telling you that O.J. wants to be in this business. It shows that his sister definitely doesn't want to be in this business. as She, she even says, like, that's not my side shit. This is my side shit. I'm helping you out. She's trying to get she's out of She's trying there. to go and, and she's like, I'm a writer, director. I'm doing all this other. She's hustling. She's got her own hustle going. Mm-hmm. Um, I OJ seems like he likes the horses. Uh, he feels obligated to his family. But even when he talks about like, going on his first set, going on the set of the Scorpion King and how he kind of talks about it. Like it wasn't a good experience. He's like, it was a pain in the ass. And then they ended up using camels, you know, like I I get the impression he doesn't, he's just doing it for his dad. I feel like both of them are, that's what I, that's where I think the movie leans on the, the long legacy of their family is that, it be, it's an obligation to them more than anything. It's not about, I love this business and I want to keep it going. I mean, look at OJ on set with the horse. He's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think either of them are really into the business. 
but they feel like they have to keep it going. But he is comfortable when he's just raising them and when we see him just feeding them hay and you stuff see, like that. You see, he has a bond with these animals and he actually is really good at handling them. He's one of these people that you kind of feel like he's better with animals than with people. Mm-hmm. I, I want to see Nope 2, where it's just uh, OJ <laughs> opens a petting zoo and... He's just got... It's just a nice, friendly... That's it. That's He takes over the uh, the theme park. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um... He makes it alien-themed and then oh, yeah. <laughs> profits off that picture. Um, what did you think about the alien design? Oh, I love it. I do too. It's so cool. Like, I we talked earlier about how they didn't show the monster till the end. Mm-hmm. Like, and then instead of being like, let's make this the most ugly, you know, uh, Lovecraftian, gross tentacles. Let's make it beautiful. Let's make it resemble a butterfly with like yeah. these weirdly shaped uh wings and then its mouth the mouth that is uh, li- like a plant or like a butterfly mm-hmm. where it's like uh peacock feathers or something like let me the, mesmerize you with right, this the square yes. and it's and it's different waves of colors yeah. Oh, yeah um and i like that when it was in like full bloom you still didn't see all of it you know, a lot of it is off frame. If it's all in frame, it's further away. It's not. It's, it's grounded. It's still not a clear look at what it is all the time, mm-hmm. or it's a real quick glimpse. Um, it is the exact opposite of a movie I watched this morning called The Deep Ones, which oh. is a. I'm going to air quotes adaptation of the writing based on the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, is what it said. I walked in on this. It's it looked it's a ridiculous. no it is a no budget horror movie uh that actually I thought they were going to do the smart thing and go well it's just going to be about the cult of people who worship Cthulhu and this kind of thing and not actually try to show anything because it's a s- small independent movie right uh with almost no production value but no they decided they were going to show Dagon, uh, uh, an iconic Lovecraftian monster, and it is laughably bad. <laughs> and it is just sort of like, you should have taken a note from Nope, where there is this monster, and 90% of the movie, it's in the clouds. It's a shape and a shadow moving through. It's a, a motion blur, pretty much. It is. Um, and, and you know, it's there and you know, sort of the shape of it, but they don't let you see it. They mm-hmm. show you just enough that you're scared of it. And it's sort of like, that is how you do Lovecraft. Every, every non Lovecraft horror movie is better at Lovecraft's execution than an actual Lovecraft ad- adaptation. You know what I mean? I think that's accurate. Um, I... but I, I love the, I love the way they shoot, uh, I think they're doing day for night um, with the, they, with the night are. scenes. This whole movie was that. And, and, and it lets you see the nighttime clouds and and work those clouds so fucking good. I, I love the night scenes in this movie because you just don't see old film techniques put to use in such a good way like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think that just like, Jordan Peele has such respect for like the history of film 
And it's so much on display in this movie with with the old jockey film uh, callback and with Western trope callbacks, sci-fi trope callbacks, and old filming techniques like Day for Night. I, I think it looks so good. It's like he's trying to be like, all right, let me use that technique. Like he's yeah. trying to get his hands into everything. I think like... he's. I think he, at his heart, I think he's like an old school filmmaker. I think mm-hmm. he is like, you know, I'm going to learn from the entire history of film how to put the best movie together. Which, that's always how you should learn art, is like I, looking at the past and for techniques sure. and all that. I There's one scene where OJ's in the barn and, uh, like, he was just chasing the horse and so the alien is, like, above him. Yeah. Uh, and so you get the cool, like, oh, the alien moves and you see the moon... But then, like, there's this pan around shot of him walking around the barn, and it's like you see the sky through the slats. Through the, the slats, barn. yeah. It's so cool. And you see the see... horse go up. Yeah, like, I... but you don't see it. You see it, but you, you see don't. the wind. Yes. and you see a shape, but that's about it. It's and... it's so good. It's it's so much of like, it's what, it's cliche, but it's it's what you don't see. You know, yeah. and and I, I think he's so good. And then when he does reveal it, you know, it's in broad daylight. And, you know, it's that's the whole point of the movie is they want to reveal it. They're looking for the shot. And I think it's I think it's great. And uh, oh, I'm forgetting uh, Schrodinger's. Uh, what is it called? Schrodinger's <laughs> cat? No, no. Schrodinger's spaceship. I, oh, I'm thinking of uh, Chekhov's. Uh, camera well i i don't know what to call that thing oh uh, yeah 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 instead the, of Chekhov's the, gun it's the it's wishing the well, well uh uh they souvenir set it up photo the they do yeah uh and then it's it's the perfect end shot it really is and the way they bring that back around is is wonderful it's pretty smart yeah. i do want to shout out uh hoyt van hoyt hoytema hoyt van hoytema as the director of photography the cinematographer mm. of this movie, because this movie is shot just so incredibly well. You calling out that shot in the barn at night that follows OJ and it takes these weird angles as it's following him through the barn. It's uh, perfect. It's shot. It's shot really well. Uh, all of the kind of chase scenes at the end mm. when OJ's on horseback, you know, like, and it it's following him. It's following the guy on the motorcycle. Uh, they shoot motion really, really well in this. And even the kind of, uh, not establishing shots, but like any other shot where like the camera's not moving, it's a lot of times at a cool angle or just something, everything is framed really, really well in this movie. It's, it's always interesting. I think, I think this movie is shot really, really well. What, one of my favorite scenes, uh, or kind of shots is, uh, they show it first in the, it's the inside of the the alien oh yeah when you're swallowed up yeah they show it first in the opening credits you don't know what it is right it's just there and it's so cool and then they show uh later on the people being swallowed up and it's just like i mean it's probably just an inflatable tube sure it's a bounce house it's so (laughs) it's really cool and like I don't know. Visually, it worked for me. It's really interesting. It's interesting. I think that's that's the thing. You don't need some high end effect to get an interesting shot if you 
set it up right. If you light it, it, it you probably, gotta do it right. It probably is some, you know, birthday party inflatable, you know, kind of thing that they rented and lit it and just started. Okay, let's shove people through here or they something. Crawl through screen. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really great. And at the end, when all of the wings and everything are unfurling, it it all just looks like silk. You know, mm-hmm. like like kind of like those uh, those scarves that people do yoga on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That like uh, or something like that, where it's just this this big billowing lightweight kind of butterfly wing. It looks very like uh, it. It just looks biologically correct. Yeah, because uh, there's a thing called like bioengineering, mm-hmm. where like people. Try and make at, a machine based on nature. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, this is making a fake animal based on real-life animals. Right. But it's the same process of, like, let's look at uh, what real wings look like and what real stomach right. lining look like looks like and just kind of play with it and make it fun. Instead of going, like, well, what's the scariest wing? A bat wing. Okay, bat wings. Okay, big fangs and big claw. You know, a monster has to have all... And it's like, no, like a monster, like, look at bugs. Look at a praying mantis. They have the, mm-hmm. the praying mantis in, in on the camera, you know? And it's like, a praying mantis looks kind of creepy, but it's not like big, long fangs and claws and shit. It's just like, it's a bug. And it does right. some brutal shit to other bugs, you know? It's uh, it it doesn't have to look like the most horrific thing in the world. It's it's just the threat it presents to the character. It shows you what it is capable of doing, and that's the threat. And you know the fact that it's a flying cowboy hat that basically vacuums up. It's it's what did you say? It's a Roomba. You know, it, like, it is. I, uh, you know, I think it kind of resembles a Roomba too in that shape. Yeah, uh, and then it's got like those kind of piranha or leech teeth around the circular around opening the, the, the uh, mouth, yeah. when it sucks things in. And I think that's a really cool visual as well. I do. I do as well. I, I love the visuals of it. Uh, but I also just love the concept that it's a spaceship. Oh no, wait it. That is the alien. It's yeah. not, it's not a UFO. It's not a, a vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's, the whole animal like or, or uh this is my my theory on this movie is that it's not an alien that's just an animal that an animal that's always Earth. existed yeah and and, and, and it just been, feeds on i things. mean yeah uh, uh, that's entirely entirely it, possible it lives in secrecy and it just kind of it feeds lives on in things. a cloud that nobody's ever noticed before mm-hmm. and but but this is the one that was tamed i'm putting air quotes there, uh, you know, tried to control by a man and, uh, right. you know, got really angry and blew its cover. Like I put carrots out for our neighborhood rabbits almost every day just to bring them around. Uh, is that why carrot blood rained down on our house? It's gonna, it's gonna piss blood, <laughs> piss orange blood all over us. Um, but yeah, um, let, I, I love that scene where it, where it's raining and then it just turns red. Yep. And it's, you know, and it's a great sort of callback to Otis Sr.'s death. Like, this is what killed him. Mm. 
you know, this, this sort stuff of falling from how the did this coin? Oh, it fell out of a plane. A, a bunch of stuff fell out of a small plane or something. And and he's like, I never believed it. Um, but the idea of like, oh yeah, it's essentially shitting out everything that it can't digest. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I, I think, a really interesting, including the big fake horse. Uh, which is, right down on the car. Which is great, yeah. Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting concept uh, that goes with what you were saying of the idea of making a monster that actually follows all the biological requirements of a living thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, and it is like, yeah, it, it is going to piss blood all over your house after it eats a whole grandstand full of people. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Otis Sr., uh, like, his death being suspicious, because, uh, I feel like that's, like, the inciting incident here, and, uh, you know, OJ doesn't really believe that, like, it fell from a plane. He's like, something else is going on here. Right. And that's what leads him to kind of be more observant and find these details uh but there's one scene where he says uh what's a bad miracle uh kind of talking about how like this discovery like, what's an act of god that is horrific instead of healing kind of thing i hmm okay so you might be like that that sounds like what the movie's actually trying to say and i read it a different way okay uh because i was kind of like uh, this thing is a good thing because, you know, he can lead to the discovery of the alien and, like, this could be an opportunity. And he's recognizing that, but he's like, this is such a terrible cost that it's not worth it kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, he's he's questioning if it's a good or a bad thing is kind of how I read that scene. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I don't... I just kind of took it as, like, you know, act of God I use loosely, but, like, a unexplained phenomenon that is uh that is horrific in a personal way you know it's not healing something it's not you know it's it's not the uh a cure of a disease or anything like that it's just sort of like this thing took my father from me and now it's going to take the the ranch away from us the business um but i actually like when he when he first sees the UFO, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want, he doesn't, he's kind of reluctant to say it. It's, it's not like he's the opposite of angel where angel is like all about ancient aliens. And he gets really in when he figures out what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. He's like, Ooh, can I monitor your, like, he's really into it. Well, cause OJ doesn't believe, or he doesn't want like people to think he's crazy. That's exactly uh, it. It's, you know, he's, he's playing it correctly where I feel like people in movies who are like, no, no, I'm from the future. Or whatever weird sci-fi mm-hmm. thing is like in 12 monkeys, like Bruce Willis is like institutionalized because, because of course you would be. You never go back and tell people you're from the future. <laughs> like you gotta play it. You smart. gotta play it cool, man. And uh, and I I think OJ is is that he's sort of like when Kiki Palmer's like, what did you see? She keeps asking, what did you see? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to say it. 
Uh, and that's how you know he saw some shit. Right. Like, that's exactly right. You're you're like, look, I found a giant footprint when I was out hiking one time. I came and told everybody that I saw Bigfoot footprints. I took pictures of it. I know people think I'm <laughs> an idiot or, and you know, I'm kind of like only half believing that's what I found. But I did find some big ass footprints out there. Still a cool thing. It's very cool. And I loved, I believe in the possibility of Bigfoot. I don't out and out hunt Bigfoot. I don't take plaster casts of footprints. But, you know, I I threw that out there and I tell people and I show people this picture knowing that a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, sure, Phil. And, uh, you know, like, but yeah, if I actually had seen a Bigfoot or a skunk ape, because we live in Florida. That's right. I I did see you. We can't bring... just have a regular Bigfoot. We have to have a skunk ape. It's totally different. Uh, I, I did see you bring your giant cutout of a foot with you when <laughs> yeah, you went hiking. Yeah, and leave there. a print. That's right. Uh, uh, I put my big shoes on. Uh but yeah, like uh, if I had actually seen something, I don't know that I would have told very many people. I think I would have kind of kept that quiet and been like, uh. well, there's... when you really make a, a solid claim, mm-hmm. it's you can believe it. I'm not saying the majority of people aren't open minded enough to believe that you saw something or right. even to just take it on faith that. I believe you believe you saw something. You know, that kind of... Like, Everyone's like, what? Are, what's your game? What are you trying right. to Right, what are you trying to sell? Like, you trying to make me look stupid for believing you or something like that? Yeah. 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 People are wary. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. Okay, yes. We get it. People are me. I'm the wary person. I'm, no, not, I, I'm not looking at you. No, I... I should be. I am a skeptic, but I'm not like... If if someone says, "Hey, I saw this," I'm like, "Okay, you you think you saw it?" Uh, a skeptic is the paranormal investigator's best friend. That's true. It keeps them on an even keel. You need that. It's the X Files. It's. I was gonna say X Files kind of uh, started it, 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 you, that you, dynamic. You you need that. You need you need one on each end to uh, find the truth in the middle. Or not. <laughs> the truth. Or yes. The truth can be it was nothing. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of things. Uh, anyway, that's OJ. And I, I do feel like Emerald is actually very enthusiastic about the possibility of UFO. Oh, she doesn't even like question it. She's, She's like, like okay, all right, yeah. let's get some camera shit. <laughs> they, go, they go and buy <laughs> security cameras immediately. <laughs> Although I do think that's part of her like... Uh, hustle get it done personality even if she doesn't believe him she's like we're gonna find something whatever this is so like yeah there's there's something making our power go out there's something happening here so so she's gonna chase it there is something that like i do like the the part when they go to buy all the surveillance equipment Mm -hmm. and they're talking about yeah something's killing our power even even our cell phones and angels like that's not how technology and they're like yeah we know that's how we know this is something weird that's why we're getting it's just like uh yeah that's a that's a really funny part i i like angel a lot i liked him a lot more this time because the first time i watched i'm like oh who's this weird side character but by the end of the movie you're like oh no angel's great uh but this time it's like i was i think a little more like knowing that he's a bigger part of the, the plot than I thought. I yeah. thought he was really funny. And I, I really 
He's he's I a really, fun side character. He he's a, a great sidekick to to the two uh leads and I love how he's just like um my girlfriend uh just broke up, you know, and he's like unsolicited like showing pictures of her <laughs> and just just kind of this this sad nerd who is also really charming, I think. Well, if you think about it, he never adds anything to the plot. I mean, he kind of does, but like, it's kind of him inserting himself into the investigation. Yeah. Yes. And he's constantly like, okay, so I'll put myself here with the camera guy. Right. And <laughs> he's, he's like, you could remove him and, and the no- story would Nothing get done. changes. Yeah. yeah. Outside of him installing the cameras. That's true. Uh, uh, that's really all he does. Um, but he's so funny that he, like you great. couldn't do this without him. He's shaggy, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, also the camera guy. Um, yeah, I I can't remember his name. I. It's Michael Wincott is the actor, um, but he I I love him in this, and I love the the purple people eater. Uh, sort of dramatic Ooh. reading that he does. I love any good dramatic reading that like adds tension to a scene. Well, that's a, it's such a it's a I don't know if you know the song. I do know the song. Uh, yes. It's it's a novelty song from the '60s, you know. But he's doing this very dramatic read <laughs> on it, and it's just it's the 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 split of that is so so great. Um, Kind of perfectly uh, encapsulates the tone of this. The movie. tone of the movie, yeah, a hundred percent. Michael Wincott uh, was in Westworld. Ah, uh, let's see. He's oh, a... Westworld. Have you seen that? Uh, you know anything about that? Uh, I really love the uh, the first season, and yeah, after yeah. that, please get up. Uh, but yes. Uh, he's in Treasure Planet as a voice. Let's see. Metro with Eddie Murphy. Oh, he's in Dead Man. I just watched Dead Man again last year. Uh, he's in The Crow. He's in The Three Musketeers from the early 90s. He's in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was in the Doors movie that Oliver Stone made. Uh, also born on the 4th of July. Also an Oliver Stone movie. This guy is a character actor through and through and if you have seen anything made in like the last 40 years, you've seen Michael Wincott at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really love his character in this movie because he doesn't do a lot until the very end. He's very important to the plot. Uh, and he's just like this mysterious tough guy. It's just a weirdo. Um, just a weirdo. Yes. He's out there in the poncho with his, his uh his film camera operated by hand crank and ultimately just suicidal i don't know if he is there an implication that he's sick cuz he's taking medication at one point um i kind of thought that was like drugs like he's off his rocker it could be that as well um i the even on the the phone with her he's like horse girl talking about ambitions yeah. <laughs> like right. just really melodramatic not at all like he seems kind of menacing mm-hmm. at the beginning, and then I do like that he sort of, uh, like that isn't part of him by the end. Like there is no menace to him. He's still like a a grizzled tough guy, but you don't think he's going to hurt you. 
Like, at the beginning, no, I was like, I'd be terrified of this guy. And then you're like, oh, no, he's actually, like, he wants to he wants to get this on film as much as everybody else. He's he, he's on board. He, more than everyone else. He's willing to die for it's it. It's true. Just to, and, and, you know, we never got confirmation if that camera was uh, spit back up. Yeah. And they got the footage. I, I hope so. Because otherwise he just I mean, kind of died for nothing. probably the best footage of anybody. I mean, yeah, the like, first-hand encounter. He's going straight, straight uh, down the gullet there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Angel and... Um, uh, let me find his character name. Uh, Antlers Holst. Is, of is, course. Is, yeah, which is, what a great name. <laughs> I, I I love them. I, it's, a, it's a small core cast in this, yeah. this movie. But I think everybody is great. Uh, including Stephen Yoon and his his weird theme park family. Can can I run something by you? Because I just Please. thought of something. Uh, OJ and what's his name? Yoon, uh, Jupe. Uh, Jupe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they're opposites, but I think uh, there's a key thing of like they both deal with trauma differently, and that's why OJ is the hero. And Jupe is not because if if you look at this as reading what happens to Otis Senior as trauma for OJ, then it I feel like a Which lot it of is. It, it is so it it kind of makes sense. He he learns from the mistake. He's like, ooh, uh, we can't control things out of our hand because uh, it was kind of an act of God that sure. killed him. It's random, uh, right? And so he is more cautious because of that, which ultimately leads to him understanding the monster more and realizing we can't control this. Right. We have to not look it in the eyes and kind of submit to it or not challenge it at least. Uh, and that gets him through his trauma, whereas obviously Jupe is ignoring his trauma and it eats him up. And he dies because of it. He's he's not only ignoring it, he's denying it. And he's uh let's look at let's look at the artifacts of these traumatic experiences. Uh OJ has the coin that killed his father in like a biohazard waste bag tacked to the wall of his bedroom where, where he, he faces it. it every day. It's part of his environment. Uh, Jupe has taken all of these things from him and he's put it in a separate room that is behind a secret door. That he it lets is, people pay to see. He's He has compartmentalized it mm. away from his regular life. He doesn't show people that. Only if they're willing, he's, he'll, he's willing to capitalize on it. Uh, just like everything else from his childhood, he only has his theme park because he was a child star. And it, that just represents how they are dealing with their trauma. You can either face it and roll it into your life and make it a part of you and learn from it and make that how you deal with things going forward. Or you can put it off and learn nothing and then let your ego get the better of you because you think you've defeated it. It's like you haven't defeated anything You've just put it out of sight. It's still there. Like it's, I think, I think I'm not saying I'm not a therapist. I'm just <laughs> telling you 
this is what the movie is is saying. I think you're spot on about about that, and I think the movie represents it with these. And, and one of them is a room full of things, display cases of the shoe and right, the party right. hat and all of these things. And OJ is just a single quarter that killed his father, that fell through his skull. And, it, I mean, he just wakes up and is staring at it every day, you know. And it's just, it's that's a very interesting point to... to because cause I didn't Call read the out. beginning as trauma, but then thinking about it sure. and thinking about him saying, like, is this a bad miracle? Just like, yeah, he's he's messed up by this. Yeah, and for sure. It's very traumatic. I mean, uh, these kind of things happen in real life, and, and it, it does traumatize you. Uh, Kevin Smith just put a video out talking about uh, trauma and how he dealt with something he considered to be a small trauma by going to some kind of group therapy where he was talking with veterans who had PTSD and he was thinking, uh, the gist, this is just the gist of it. You can go watch the video. It's on YouTube. It's kind of circulating right now. Um, where he was thinking, I don't belong here. These people suffered actual trauma and just talking about like, he says the, the human nervous system does not recognize levels of trauma. Mm -hmm. It is all about a, a visceral nervous reaction to something traumatic. And whether that thing is, is uh, your buddy getting blown up right next to you or you're being mugged, you know, it is, it is a traumatic experience. I, uh, I was told that I had a level of trauma from a job I used to work at and I didn't, believe it but the more i sort of sat with it after i left there i was like oh yeah i do kind of react to things in an extreme way because of this and it I, is just sort of like yes uh every everybody i think everybody in the world has suffered some level of trauma and just how we deal with it i think i think you bring up a, an amazing point that these two characters are dealing with things in absolute opposite ways uh, in terms of, of traumatic events. It's, it's Jordan Peele. Like he's, he's just doing his thing. And like, there's so many layers of metaphor and, uh, kind of like all of these ideas like, are in there. I feel like all of them are very much intended for, uh, for sure. Yeah. And so every detail in the film just like adds a layer to what they're trying to say. And I, yeah, I mean, a plus the 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 timing of this movie to come out like uh, post pandemic, like the, the pandemic affected everybody. Whether you took the trauma of COVID nineteen and put it in a secret room in your brain and pretended it didn't exist, or you had COVID, you lost somebody to COVID, uh. I mean, it, 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 it like the, the everybody has come out the other side of COVID-19. Not that we're done with it. It still exists. Please be safe. Uh, but everybody came through the thick of quarantine and pandemic. Everybody came out carrying a little piece of good God. This is horrific, you know. I This might be a hot take, but I think part of the reason so you, many you people... Think, you think the uh, vaccine is, is mind control? 
uh, I don't think it is. The <laughs> the vaccine is telling me that it is. Okay. okay. No. Uh, I I think part of the reason so many people ignore or like refuse to accept it. I think that's a traumatic response. Oh, I, th- I think of, so as well. I of, think it's very inconvenient to me to believe in this thing. Right. Yeah. So I, no, I'm not going to wear a mask. You want me to relive having to be in my home for a month, yeah. not talking to anyone? Like, that's what it is to people. And they, they can't comprehend it. And so they just, no, it didn't happen. So what do they call it? Like confirmation bias? Yeah. You find you find the the report that denies COVID and you go, see, look, uh, that's good enough for me. And you, yeah. I, listen, w- when something's as divisive as, you know, culture wars have gotten recently, I, I think it's fair to say that, like, even if you're right about something, even if the facts are on your side, a lot of people are just doing confirmation bias just like oh. digging their heels in because they they want to i think most people who are doing confirmation bias the facts are not really on their side most well, of the time but that is true but i um i i guess i just want to say be aware that even if you know a lot of people agree with you you can that is still a confirmation bias and you know you could be wrong about some aspect of things sure, sure. i don't know no i i know what you're saying Okay. Then we, I stand by it. We all have hot takes that are maybe not super popular. Yeah. I are mean, you trying to guess what my what my hot takes are right now? No, no, but I am trying to come up with a joke way of saying, like, <laughs> is that why you stopped drinking uh, Budweiser? Because a, a trans... Because uh, a trans... Uh, they have a trans spokesperson and it hurt me so deeply. Yes. I know. I know. I, I can't take... My favorite thing about that is... People posting photos of Travis Tritt looking like an absolute drag queen with like fringe jackets on and, and a ton of makeup. And it's like, oh yeah, he absolutely looks like a bearded drag queen right now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there, but I... There's the, not. There's not a lot going on no, there. No, but that's there's, the thing. There's is, a handful of crybabies who, who can't take the idea that uh, something less than... Uh, traditionally masculine could be endorsing their terrible domestic watered down beer. Like <laughs> I, the the fact that something so little yes. is blown so wide is just. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, if, if I go on my Google like articles thing, like half of my news page is about dumb stuff like that, and yeah. it's the whole culture war. I'm just like, can yeah, we stop? Um, yeah, there are. Uh, uh, yeah, don't. I don't want to go any further. I'm, down I'm getting into something. No, no. Yeah. But we were. Uh, this started in a a good enough place because uh, COVID was something of a culture war, and it was the culture of, okay, this sucks, but let's deal with it like adults, and let's be as safe as we can, and let's stay home if we need to, and let's wash our hands and and wear a mask when we're around other people as a courtesy to other people. And then there was the culture of, let's deny that this exists. Let's put it out of our head. There were people who died, and were. Up to the second they died, swearing that COVID was a weird conspiracy theory that didn't exist because that was more convenient to them than to actually acknowledge the truth that it was killing them in that exact moment. These were real things that happened. Like, so there, that did become a culture war. And I think that's, that is a wider culture of how we deal with trauma. There are people who deny it. 
I mean, there's still a, a contingent of people in this country who are anti-therapy. You even see it in OJ in this movie. He goes, you, you see a therapist? Right. I, and, and she's like, she, I sleep with goes, a therapist. I fuck a therapist on occasion, which is the funniest shit. <laughs> like, but, I mean, there is like this, uh, this population of people, I think it's getting smaller all the time, of people who are sort of like opposed to uh, psychiatry, opposed mm-hmm. to counseling, and opposed to talking to people who can make help you feel better. I think I think that is shrinking all the time, but I think there is a, a still a a kind of group of people hanging on to that idea that if you can't deal with it by yourself, you're a lesser person. I I think there's a. I'm glad that like a lot of the stigma has gone away, but I kind of think there's a. An older group, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't point fingers. I, I, I think the younger people are better about. I think, yeah, the, I, I think I younger therapy. people have brought a lot of that around, but um, you know, it's uh, it's it's still a little bit weird around certain groups of people. I work in a lot of. I don't want to stereotype, but uh, I work in a lot of blue collar jobs, and there's. There's a little side eye if I mention that I take an antidepressant. Whoa. You know, like, whoa. whoa. What's this guy's deal? You don't just drink like everybody else. <laughs> it's like, um, not not from everybody, but I, I also have worked with other truck drivers who don't, oh, yeah, I take this and I take, you know, yeah. listed their medications to me. And I, you know, very open about stuff like that. So it's a mixed bag. Ultimately, address your trauma. Please. That's what this movie's don't, telling you Don't to do. lock it behind a secret door and and just hope that it won't be there anymore when you open it up. And don't flash bright lies bright lights into its horse eyes and freak it out. That's true. And, you know, you can't control it. You can't. It's an illusion. Control, it's an illusion. Damn straight. And that's what all the fake facade of western towns and shit is in this. Hmm. Layers. Layers, baby. He's got layers. This was Nope. I uh, I love this movie. And if you have not watched this, if you are a stranger to Jordan Peele, please acquaint yourself with his movies. I think he is one of the most interesting filmmakers working today. And he's one of those guys where I just... I'm really excited that he has a... He's still kind of at the beginning of his filmmaking career. That's what I think. It's like I'm, I I can't wait to see like his tenth movie. Yes, like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, like we have a long line. way to go, and and I think he'll he'll miss sometimes, but I think I think he's just getting better and better. As 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 much as I think Get Out was a, this super smart horror movie, I think uh, I think Nope is is almost perfection. I I really love this movie. I do too. And I think maybe one day we'll even get a Jordan Peele movie where the title is like three words. That would be and, uh, you know, that would be really maybe something. Maybe even four words. Yeah, I don't I, know. Who I, knows? Who knows? I don't want to push it. You know? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Twilight Zone uh, is... Oh, yes. I have still not seen the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone because it's on some other streaming service that I'm not subscribed to because there's too many streaming services. Uh, I, but I, I've I've heard pretty good things about it. I've seen the the pilot. Uh, oh, have you? It's it's an interesting 
think it's about like an alien like infesting like i don't remember all the details it was a while ago but it was like some kind of boys and girls and it talking about gender binary kind of was the message that i got from that episode but uh, interesting it it has a cool vibe to it. The revive is he Twilight is he Zone. like directing and writing all of those or uh, I I don't know to be honest. That's interesting. Somebody let us know. But uh, oh, he's uh oh, he's credited as creator developed by. Um, I'm sure he's directed some of them. Anyway, yeah, Jordan Peele. He's great. Yep. Uh, let's move on and uh, and shout out some stuff. Let's shout it out. What do you got? Uh, I found a new podcast uh, called Dungeons and Daddies, uh, where uh, some people play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but their characters are dads from our universe. Okay. That have uh, transported through a portal in their minivan into a fantasy realm uh and they're trying to find their kids uh so it's really funny uh they describe it as not a bdsm podcast because the title is <laughs> dungeons and Daddies. Uh, thank you for clarifying <laughs> and uh yeah i i think it's a uh, just a really funny group of people uh there's four guys and a girl uh okay uh, she's playing a dad, though, so, you know, it's on theme. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think they're really funny. And uh, the story of their D&D campaign that they're playing is is really fun. So check that out if you like D&D or uh, live action play kind of podcast. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. What do you got, Dad? I have a, I have shouted out the dollop podcast before it is an american history and comedy podcast Mm -hmm. uh it is not a separate feed it's the same guys uh but they have a guest it is a kind of separate show it's still on the dollop podcast feed and it's commentary on historical events it's called the past times so if Mm. if you listen to the dollop and you're like oh this is a little long-winded listen to the past times they go into uh, newspaper archives and find like a newspaper from like a hundred years ago and just go through and read some articles and tell, and it is, and then they like, it's Gareth Reynolds and Dave Anthony. And then they'll have like usually a, a third comedian as a guest and they'll just comment and make jokes about, you know, a lot of times they're very racist, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, sometimes it's just ridiculous what a small, quiet town passes for news, you know, especially if it's like a daily paper, you know, somewhere in Nebraska in 1850, you know, where nothing is going on and it's just like... Suspicious car it's, passed in It's town essentially today. like a gossip, uh. <laughs> you know, thing. Uh, uh, and it's just, it's, it's really funny and it's also kind of an interesting document of... Oh, this passed for journalism back then. And sometimes it's like, oh, nothing's changed. It's still like shit talking, racist, 
propaganda, you know, uh, depending on the paper. And it's just a, it's a really interesting and really funny, uh, uh, look at news in this. I think they're almost all American papers that I've heard. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's really wild. And they'll read like some ads, you know, for, for like local businesses and stuff like that, or, or weird products. It's, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of funny things that it, are in there. Yes, uh, not intended to be funny as it was written, but uh, at the end of the day, with the modern lens, they yeah, they kind of come out sometimes quaint and sometimes really Ooh. sad. Uh, yeah, but uh, check it out. It's the past times, and that's on the Dollop podcast feed, and I'll have a link to there. The Dollop's homepage on All Things Comedy. Nice. On that note, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show and not saying nope to it. <laughs> if you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. I just have to say that was a really bad dad joke. It, it really was. I just... Oh, the, I don't disagree. The audience couldn't see my face in that moment, so I just... He was hoping let a, it be known. He was hoping a coin would fall from the sky and kill me. <laughs> like. That would be a miracle. <laughs> All right. Uh, another way you can help us grow this show is if you tell a friend. Uh, I did not prepare a joke for this one, so. Oh no. Uh, I'm I'm really struggling here to think. After of... you show your friend around your hidden trauma room, uh, recommend to them. That they listen to the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude. That's right. And seek out a therapist. <laughs> Please do. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we've got to finish out this season and finish out this double feature. Yes, this will end this double feature and close out our double feature season. And I'm excited for this, but you gave me such a hard one because, I mean, in the description of this movie, there's like five genres uh sure so i i had a lot i could go with in the end though uh i'm sticking with aliens and i'm gonna go super eight uh right because i i also feel like that kind of has a fun vibe to it in the same way so uh yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that when we actually i've already it, i've but, already uh, got thoughts but i think that's a really good pick good uh I'm looking forward to it. So. I, I love Super 8, and I'm going to talk about that uh, next week as well. Super 8. Tune in next week uh, to hear our thoughts about it. Yes, please do. Uh, we have an email address, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, Tell people how they can get a hold of us. Well, you can go ahead and type in austinandphil at gmail.com, uh, and that will send uh, whatever you want to write to us. Uh, you could... Tell us what you think of the show, tell us what you think of Nope, or uh, recommend something you think we should watch on the show. That's right. We've gotten uh, book recommendations based on things we've watched. We've gotten uh, some commentary on what our thoughts about movies were, you know, adding to it, and just be part of the conversation uh, in a way that we can interact with you, in a way that uh, we can bring it to the show and, and share your thoughts alongside ours. Mm -hmm. And if you want to just tell us our opinions on, are wrong, I'm, go I'm ahead and open do that. to that too. Uh, and then I can just block you on all social media. That's cool. Uh, make it easy for me. That's what Twitter is nowadays. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, where else can people find us, though? Letterboxd. Uh, Austin and Rude on Letterboxd is you, and Phil Rude on Letterboxd is me. We both have lists of things that we are watching this year. And on mine, I have a list of everything that we have watched for this show. Um, you can uh, go through and, and, you know, treat it like a checklist for yourself if you want to get caught up in... Say you've seen all the same things we have. That's right. Uh, and like the cool kids. You can see what we're not reviewing uh, on the show. I actually just recently watched a Bollywood film called Kantana. Uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but that's how it's spelled. Uh, and I posted my thoughts on that movie on, cool. my, on my Letterboxd. So check it out. Very nice. Uh, that does it for us this week. Austin, do you want to read the credits? Yeah, we did it all ourselves. There you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya.